Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. You're here because you're interested in finding out more about music, the flute, entrepreneurship, and find inspiration from diverse places and people. I am a student of business right now, so here we are in that business 101 episode where I get to talk about the awareness of our behavior in our business, our job, our workspace. We'll speak about some of the things people are learning as young adults and are like, hey, I wish I knew that earlier. (laughs) Today, I'm discussing what to say and how to behave in several different arts and artistic settings, and hopefully it will elevate your purpose. Those settings range from being in an administrative role, to being a peer in an ensemble, to being a teacher. Language is important. So here's what to say and perhaps what not to say and assume in these settings. We know that gratitude and kindness are the attitudes we need to guide us and be more present. Guiding me are people whom I love and trust, Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. I went to the vault of my recordings and found the compelling and haunting Alemand from the C minor cello suite of J.S. Bach. You can download it from my album in translation. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. I'm so happy you're here. You've heard me say it before, say please and thank you. Those words hold the biggest impact for you in your life. I have those two words, please and thank you, as signs in my office, hanging together. It's a great way to say you're grateful for the work you've been given to do, especially in the arts. Every concert, every student, and every service, say that you're grateful. Because you said, please give me the work. Please give me the student. Please give me my work in the arts. 
So you must say thank you. I'll also remind you, there are three things to do in the arts or any workplace, really. Number one, show up. Number two, do your job. And number three, leave. Number one, show up means on time. Happy to be there. Not wearing your heart on your sleeve. Prepared. Practiced. Number two, doing your job means watching, listening, not chatty, not turning around to see who's playing the solo or gossiping about the absence of a colleague. Doing your job means solid com- a solid commitment to bringing your A-game every time you pick up your instrument. Three, leaving means leave. Say goodbye and thank you. Remember your belongings. Don't bring your work home with you if possible. I mean, the drama. (laughs) Try to get in a walk or some kind of distance between you and your work or your business or your job, whatever your title is, every day. Dis-ease is caused when you can't let go of your worries and stress in the mind about work and then the body has no recourse. When you can commit to the way you work, then the work-life balance becomes manageable. Your workplace is manageable and you're happy. So let's get into it first with input from my producers. And I'm so grateful for their input as always. They are saying, save the small chat for breaks, right? Before or after meetings or rehearsals. That's a good one. Trying to speak while a manager or a conductor is trying to speak, it's not good for anyone in the room. So don't be chatty with your friends. You still want to engage with your colleagues, but first observe them to see what they're talking about and join in when it's appropriate. Both Alan and Justine have worked in arts administration settings, and I asked them for their input on what not to say in an academic or arts administration setting, and here's what they said. Don't come off as the music snob. If someone likes classical music but says something wrong, right, you try to engage in a conversation of why they like it and then you gently educate them in what they may have said wrong instead of brashly correcting them because of your vast knowledge. (laughs) That's funny. It's a good one. Okay, here's another one from the producers. Don't play the elitist card. I've played with some famous people, right? And don't spread gossip about the famous people. It's not good to spread rumors. Just spread goodwill and cheer. You see, all that just makes you sound like a cheap magazine reporter. (laughs) All right, guys, I'll add to that a pile you can't ignore. uh, And that would be email right? Three days is long enough for someone to wait for an answer. Just because you're an artist of some kind doesn't mean you get to be rude. Send a note to say you're backlogged. I'll answer this, you know, by a certain time. I know I appreciate that. Look, I'm far from perfect, but I am a lot better at my business and in turn my personal life when I understand that as a freelancer or a professor uh, that I'm keeping up with my business. It makes me feel calmer. When you make a concerted effort to communicate clearly, it has great effects on your life. 
I'll take a commercial break here to remind you that the Anatomy of Sound workshop you know and love has found a new home online. It's called AOS-Wellness, and we are here for you as a faculty to provide resources and products for arts educators and performing artists. Join for six months or one year and get our five changing channels every month, plus the back content from previous months. Those channels are wisdom, movement, meditation, breathing, and practice. So after this show, you can go to porterflute.com slash AOS and learn more. You can opt in for our seven-day trial and get access to my popular focus sheet, along with all of the wisdom we're bringing to you from our amazing faculty, only at the Anatomy of Sound. Vicki Oliver is a leading career development expert and the author of five books, including Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots, and 301 Smart Answers to Tough Business Etiquette Questions. She teaches essay writing at the New York Writers' Workshop. She writes in her article, 10 Habits That Are Secretly Annoying All Your Coworkers, and Smart Ways to Mitigate That Behavior. Since we're no longer insulated in our personal bubbles, we have to make ourselves patient to our colleagues' habits. At the same time, we need to note any of our own habits that others could consider bad habits. So make sure that you're not adding to the annoyances. So I'll quote Vicki Oliver with some of my added tips for musicians. I chose a few of her coworker habits that drive people crazy and possible remedies, not all 10. Here's one, showing up late to meetings or rehearsals. One or two late arrivals over the course of several weeks can be excused, maybe not in music, but in the business world. But constant tardiness is both rude and a show of poor time management. The remedy is don't enable this slacker. Whatever you do, don't restart the meeting. If you're approached afterwards to give a recap, kindly say you have to get to a pressing assignment and suggest that the latecomer review the meeting notes. I think that oversharing personal problems is an issue. Let's face it, some people have very loose or non-existent personal boundaries, but sometimes a co-worker may just need someone to take into their confidence. The remedy is to give yourself permission to voice your discomfort when a colleague says too much, but take a soft tact. If the person is in crisis, let them know that you feel flattered to be entrusted with the confidence, but suggest a more professional sounding board. 
Does the company have an employee assistance program to support the worker's mental health? If not, now may be the time to suggest one. Okay, here's one. Asking for clarification too often. In this fast-paced world, someone who absorbs information more slowly can rattle your nerves if you are the leader. So the remedy is, instead of repeating yourself, ask what isn't clear. When the coworker takes a moment to sort through what may have seemed fuzzy initially, they may realize that they already have the needed information. Or if they're truly perplexed and you don't have the time to explain, offer to share your notes on the assignment later. Here's one we've all come in contact with, bad hygiene. While poor hygiene is off-putting, it can be the result of any number of personal issues that colleagues aren't privy to. So the remedy to this issue, in particular, requires the utmost insensitivity and compassion. Ask to speak to the worker privately and speak only for yourself, even if others have complained. Otherwise, hearing that others have commented can make the employee feel not only embarrassed, but humiliated. Gently tell the coworker what you've noticed. In most cases, making the offender aware will be enough to prompt a change. In the orchestra setting, it's the personnel manager you should go to and describe your discomfort. Now, interrupting colleagues. Too often, interrupting is a power play, and it it essentially negates what someone else on the team has to say. So if you're the one who was interrupted, steer the conversation back at your first opportunity. If you're facilitating and note that a colleague was cut short, ask the interrupter to hold the thought until the speaker has had a chance to finish. If this happens, For instance, on a Zoom meeting, suggest that everyone use the raise hand feature. And finally, half-baked ideas. That means when a coworker offers up a vague or impractical idea. It shows one of two things. The person's inexperienced or is a grandstander who just wants to be part of the conversation. We've met both of those people. Tempting though it is to ignore or gloss over the whims, the better response is to invite further explanation. In this way, you aren't ignoring the input. The trick is to get that person to see that their idea isn't fully formed without your having to say no. Are you in a chamber music group? 
I'll give Janet Horvath and her blog on interlude.hk.com credit for these great tips. So what is offensive in chamber music settings? Tuning your instrument for a long time. <laughs> or turning your pages slowly. Or slowing down because you didn't practice a difficult passage. Or speeding up when you have half notes in your part. While the others struggle with fast 30 second notes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> One of my most dreaded. Stopping at every repeat sign to discuss at length whether or not to take the repeat. Oh my goodness. Playing the right notes but at the wrong time. Continuing with notes you have left when everyone else has finished. Oh my goodness. Stopping the group when you've miscounted and say, we need to tune. <laughs> That's a well-known diversionary tactic favored by conductors when they get lost. Stopping often to discuss interpretation. Blah, 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 blah. It's easy to offend your chamber music partners if you make comments which might be interpreted as insulting. So instead of saying, you played so out of tune, say, what a wonderful use of microtones, or better yet, this passage sounded off. Can we try it again a bit slower for intonation? Instead of saying, you just played a bunch of wrong notes, say, lovely cadenza there, or better yet, we didn't play this passage very accurately. Can we try it again to make certain we're all playing the notes in, that the composer intended? Instead of saying, you were rushing, say, I enjoyed the nice swing rhythm you played, or better yet, can we try this section once more with a metronome to check the tempo and steadiness? Instead of saying, those sure are strange fingerings and bowings you're doing there, say, lovely experimental technique or better yet I wonder if this passage would sound more cohesive if we all played the same fingerings and bowings and wind players would say note lengths and articulations instead of saying ouch you played a wrong note say you played that with authority nice interpretation or better yet I'm not certain we're in the same place can we try that again from letter B even though we rehearse long hours to attain a level of comp competence in a chamber music group, the goal is to be able to be expressive and responsive to each other and also spontaneous. We might compare our interaction to telepathy or intuition. Instead of talking too much, consider that communication in a chamber ensemble requires you to express your intentions through body language, breathing together, each of you leading the interpretation of the music. The aim is to discover a cohesive sound and a unified approach to the music you're playing. Let me take one more opportunity to introduce you to the anatomy of sound, where you can do a 34-minute yoga class or several different meditations all for free. You can see more of our content at AOS-Wellness. And if you're on our Porter Flute website, it's porterflute.com slash AOS.
Check us out for memberships and products that help the performing artists and arts educators. I know there are so many resources out there for etiquette in the workplace and what to say, what not to say. Here are some basics from gomco.com, which is the Cincinnati Metropolitan Orchestra. They really say most of what we learn is by making the mistakes. <laughs> so learn the art of the hidden yawn. Sometimes you just can't avoid yawning, but you can hide it with a little creativity. Lean over to tie your shoe or pretend to scratch your nose to hide your gaping mouth. <laughs> Don't let the conductor catch you yawning. Ornery conductors may send you packing or never invite you back. Treat your music with kindness. Most sheet music is rented or borrowed from a library. Only write markings lightly in pencil so the next player to use it doesn't have to painfully scrub out markings with a massive rubber eraser. Try not to bend pages or tear them. Keep the music in a protective folder, maybe, to keep it from getting crinkled in transit. Turn off your phone. Enough said. Stop when the conductor stops. If you keep playing, it's a sign that you're not paying attention. Also, don't noodle around or practice while the conductor's talking. I said that earlier. Personal practice and group rehearsal are two separate activities. Don't eat during rehearsals. Bottles of water are okay. Don't question the conductor or treat them with disrespect. Trust in their artistic direction. Don't argue with the conductor or you'll likely find yourself packing up and sent on your way. Don't even complain about where you sit. Even if you've had a seating audition and you think you can play better than other members in your section, graciously accept your position. Just because you sit in the back doesn't mean you're not a valuable player. In fact, being in the group to begin with is a privilege in itself. But don't hesitate to practice your tail off in preparation for the next seating audition. Lastly, enjoy the music. Don't take rehearsal so seriously that you lose your connection with the piece or with your instrument. Playing music in an ensemble is a real treat. Don't forget that you're taking part in a meaningful cultural tradition that will edify your audience. I hope I've given you some good food for thought today. 
I appreciate you being in Porterflute Pod. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at porterflute.com. That's our new website for the show. amyporter.com has been revamped, so students can go there and click on Umish FAQs or Porter's Curriculum to learn more. You can also find me as Porterflute and Anatomy of Sound on YouTube and Facebook. And on Instagram, I'm Porterflute and AOS Wellness. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.